Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. All right, let's, uh, let's talk this morning a little bit in Ephesians. I wanna, I wanna talk to you about God's immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace. And um, what's interesting is the passage that I'm gonna go into in Ephesians 2 leads to the one new man, which we've been praying into this morning, that God would bring all people together, that he would bring Jew together, that he would bring Gentile together, that Arabs would come together. You know, the gospel is the only thing that can bring true peace and can, can break down that wall of division and bring peace. That's where it's gonna happen in the church. And so I'm thankful that we prayed for that this morning because it's really powerful. And that's not what I'm speaking on this morning, but as I do, just know that the verse is right after what I'm gonna speak on. This is where this is going. And so to understand the book of Ephesians, you've got to understand what God's purpose is, which is this one new man, amen? amen. And so... Ephesus, when we talk about the book of Ephesians, we gotta talk about Ephesus a little bit. A uh, city that's in modern day Turkey, it's in the Asia part of Turkey. You know, Turkey sits on, um, it's in Asia and Europe. It's, it's on two different continents as a country. And so it's in the Asian part. And um, it was a very powerful city. A couple hundred thousand people lived there. It was only probably rivaled by Rome. It was a Roman city. Uh, it was originally a um, plant. It was a plant by the, the Greeks. It was kind of like a Greek colony, but the Romans ruled it. And um, what I specifically want to say about that is that, and I've said this before. I've, I've I love Ephesians. It's my favorite book of the Bible. It's it, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful when you actually dive, deep dive into it and really take a look at it. But um, Ephesus was known for this temple to the false goddess Artemis. And this temple was one of, considered one of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, you can go read old poetry and different things that people wrote when they would see this temple. And they would describe it as, as rivaling anything in the world. That they actually said that was, of the seven wonders, that's like number one when people saw it. They said it rivaled the, the great pyramids. And this was all to this, uh, this false goddess. And this temple was larger than a, than a football field. It was huge and very ornate. There's only, if you go to Ephesus today, the ruins of Ephesus, there, which I've been to, there's one column that stands uh, from that temple. And so I wanna come back to that in just a little bit because I want us to understand something that the gospel was penetrating into the city of Ephesus, into the surrounding area, into the world, and it was going into these places where there was deep, deep darkness. And it was, but it was working, it was penetrating, it was, it was going in, people were being saved, people were being delivered, people were being free, and Ephesus became a revival center. And so it was a very powerful place it's believed that uh, Jesus' mom moved there at some point. We know that John, who wrote Revelation, lived there as well at one point. And so it was a very important city. And as we look in Ephesians, I want to just kind of look at Ephesians 1 for a second, and then we're going to go to where I'm going. But that 
starts off in Ephesians 1-3 with this, with this praise. Paul releases this waterfall or torrent of praise, but he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. One of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible that we have been blessed, that we have been blessed by God the Father, that we've been blessed through Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So every spiritual blessing that there is, we have been blessed with. And God is constantly bringing us into a realization of that blessing that belongs to us in Christ. Amen? And he goes on, as he goes on that passage, he talks about the Father in his praise, and he says that he's blessed us, that he chose us, that he destined us, that he lavished his grace upon us, and that he gave us an inheritance. That's what the Father has done for us. And then he goes on and he continues in his praise, and he talks about Jesus, that these blessings come from the Father, but they come through Jesus. And he said about Jesus that, he, that we've been blessed in Christ, that we have been chosen in him, that we've been adopted through him, that we have redemption through his blood, that our purpose was set forth in Christ and that he is going to unite all things. So the blessings of the Father come in the sphere of Jesus. That's where we receive the blessings are in him and because of him, amen. And then he goes on and he talks about the Holy Spirit and, he, and here he begins to break into this prayer. And Joaquin mentioned this prayer earlier. But in Ephesians 1.8, it says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know three different things. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Did you know that there is a glorious inheritance in you? Amen. And verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So this is how Paul starts the book of Ephesians with this praise and with this deep prayer that we would understand the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. We could probably mic drop off of that. But I want to look at Ephesians 2.1. And uh, Paul takes an interesting turn right here. So he goes into the prayer, the praise, all of that, makes this declaration. And then he goes, he makes this interesting turn and he goes this interesting direction, but it's a really important direction. And he begins to paint the picture of man apart from Christ. And I think it's something that we should think about because when we begin to think about who we were apart from him, and then we think about what he's done for us, praise will erupt out of us. It erupts out of us. When I realize, when I have the revelation of the darkness that I was rescued from, praise will erupt out of me. In fact, my whole life will change. I will, I will orient my life completely around him because of what he has done. Amen? Because of, and because of who he is, that revelation of who he is. And so we're going to look at this here in Ephesians 2.1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
So this is describing who we were. But it's also describing the state of the world apart from Jesus, those that don't know Jesus. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and once you, in, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, by nature, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so I'm gonna kind of break into each one of these things, but I wanna kind of reverse the order on something here. In verse three, it says, like the rest of mankind, then it goes on to say, we all once lived, and in verse two, following the course of this world. So like the rest of mankind, we all once lived following the course of this world. And this passage reveals three, I wanna just call them hideous truths about our old condition and about the current condition of people without Jesus. They're hideous, they're, they're horrendous truths. But if we can understand them, we can understand the battle that God has equipped us to fight in the world, to bring the message of reconciliation, to be a part of a people who are bringing about reconciliation, who are bringing about that one new man. And that's the call of the book of Ephesians. But these hideous truths, the first one is in verse one, is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead spiritually dead. We could not see him. We could not hear him. We were not aware of him. We were a spiritual corpse, completely dead. Because of our trespasses, which is a false step, it's the crossing of a known boundary or deviation from a correct path, and then sin. Because of our trespasses and sin, sin is to miss the mark. It's to fall short of the standard. And these things can be active or they can be passive. But the reality is we all were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so that's the first hideous truth about our old condition is that we were a spiritual corpse. And anyone who does not know Jesus is a spiritual corpse. They can't hear him. They can't see him. They can't. They're dead. They're not aware of him. If you keep going in this passage, it talks in verse two about walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And the, the second hideous truth about our old condition is that we were slaves. So we were not only dead, we were slaves. We were slaves. And Paul gives us here in this passage three, let's call them diabolical forces that direct people's existence, that people are being controlled and that they're unaware of it. Before I knew Jesus, I was not aware of these forces that were working around me. I didn't understand what was happening. And people are not aware of these diabolical forces, but there's the first one he lists here is the course of this world. And so the course of this world would describe a value system that is devoid of God. It's a pattern of thinking, a way of thinking that dominates society 
that is devoid of God. It is darkened thinking is the course of this world. And so there is a course that's happening in the world today. And we can see it quite clearly that there are things that are happening in, in people's thinking that are just off. And we'll talk about that in a second as well. But it also talks about the prince of the power of the air. It's talking about Satan here. So the second, the, the second thing that we were a slave to, and I want you to see this here. It's important to see this, was Satan. So this murky atmosphere of Satan, this spirit that it talks about in verse 2, that, that is working in the sons of disobedience. And so not only is the course of this world happening and this diabolical pattern of thinking happening, but there's, Satan is also actively working inside of the sons of disobedience. This spirit is working in, in this place. And so we need to understand and we need to be aware that Satan is in the world today and he is working. And we were slaves to him before that we knew Jesus. All right? The third one, which here's where it comes down really directly to us. It says that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so you could say that is that old, fallen, self-centered human nature, that fallen nature and that wants the desires of the body and the mind. And so here we see that we, there's these forces that are working in the world, the course of this world. Satan is working, but we also have responsibility. We took part in our own destruction. We destroyed our own lives. So these are the three things that Paul points out, these forces that are working in, uh, that are working in the world that we once were slaves to. I once was a slave to darkness. I once was a slave to sin. And then the third hideous truth that we see here is that we, because of this, we were condemned. It says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were condemned. And here's the thing. I think people get confused about God's wrath. You know, religious people are, are rooting for people to get what they deserve, right? A lot of unbelievers think that God is just hates them and just wants to destroy them. And, uh, you know, you see this in the Bible James and John walking with Jesus, they hadn't soaked enough. Uh, city rejected them, and they're like, hey, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire to incinerate the city? I mean, come on. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. I have not, okay? Let Jesus just incinerate the entire city, and Jesus is like, wait, wait, wait a second, guys. That's, you don't get it yet. This is not what we're doing here. We're not gonna go call down fire to incinerate the entire city. But they had a wrong perception of what Jesus was in the earth to do. But we do need to understand, we do need to understand some things about wrath because a lot of people get confused. How can God be a God of love and a God of wrath? But I would submit to you that the, that the two are combat, compatible, that they are not incompatible, that they are both part of the nature of God. 
And God can hold the tension of love and wrath perfectly in ways that we can't even understand. All right? But what's wrath? So to understand wrath, first we've got to understand that, that God is holy. I preached a message on this back in April 2022. I looked it up called One Degree of Glory. So if you like what I'm about to share or God speaks to you through it, you can go get a little more detail there. But when you talk about the holiness of God, what you're talking about is that God is indescribable, that he's completely other, that he's unique, that he's incomparable, uh, that he's not a being that he's a being that's not determined by anything outside of himself. He's completely unique. He's completely other. He's utterly unique, you could say. And holiness, when we talk about holiness, it's describing God's divine nature. It's describing his utter uniqueness and, and goodness. And you could say that the word holiness describes the gap between everything else and him because there's nothing like him. So, you know, we have a perception of, of what the word holy means, but what it really means is God is so different. He's so unique. There's no one like him. There's no, there's no one pure like him. And so it's describing that gap. And here's a good way to think about it. There's a, would you say there's a big difference between the sun and the earth? Yeah. yeah. And if you tried to live in the sun's atmosphere, what would happen? You'd be dead, right? You couldn't handle it. It would burn, it would burn you up. And does that make the sun bad? It's great, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else get amazed that, that that rock is like 8 million miles away and we can like feel the heat from it? That's one hot fire. But it, it's completely other. I mean, we can't get much closer. We can't even look at it, Right? I mean, we can't even look at the sun. It, it'll, it'll burn your eyes out. And so it's, it's, it's different. So when we think about God's holiness, um, we think about his nature of holiness. It's just different. And, and we, can't, we can't live in that, that atmosphere apart from Jesus. And so God's nature and atmosphere is, is holiness, so, so we've got to understand that. If we're going to understand wrath, we've got to understand that, that God is a being that is, that is so different, that is so utterly unique, that there's just nothing else like him. And there's only one way to get in his atmosphere, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But when you, so, so when you understand holiness, then you can understand that, that the, the wrath of God is his reaction to evil, God, his unique nature, his atmosphere is hostile towards evil. Evil cannot be in the same place as the atmosphere of God. It can't, it can't approach God. It can't be there with God. And so his atmosphere is, uh, is holiness and evil can't live there and he will not compromise with evil. He can't compromise with evil. He can't. It's, it's actually impossible for God to compromise with evil because he is the opposite of evil. He is goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? 
You know, Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock because he wanted to see the glory of the Lord. And it talks about how when the, that he could, the Lord said, you can, I'm gonna hide you here and you can only look at my back. And it talks about that the goodness of God passed by. But if Moses would have come face to face with that goodness, he would not have survived it. And so God passed by that way. And so I just want us to understand something about God's atmosphere and about his holiness and about his wrath. So wrath, here's what it's not. It's not a bad temper. It's not, a, God, it, God is not, it's not a bad mood, okay? Um, he's not out to destroy people. He's not. He doesn't, he's, he's not out to destroy people. But I want to make an important note here that we need to understand. Sin is what destroys people. Sin has its own built-in corruption mechanism. When we are walking in sin, when we, when we put ourselves in a place of sin, there are things that begin to happen that are not positive things. Sin brings destruction, and we need to understand that. that we don't, we don't, that's not what we walk in anymore, yet we can sin. But when we do, let's repent quick and get back because it will bring things that are not positive into your life. Amen? Because sin has a corrupting mechanism that leads to destruction in this life and in eternity. And we need to be careful to stay away from it. And when we do sin, which we do, we need to repent quickly from it. Amen? We need to repent quickly and get back into that, that atmosphere of God. And so it's sin that destroys. It's not God's wrath He's not looking to take out cities with his wrath. He proved that with James and John. Jesus said, no, that's not what we're here to do. Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to save it. But I do want to say there will be a day of judgment. There will be. But that's what Jesus is doing right now. He is here to save the world. And so it talks about us here as children of wrath. So we by nature stood outside of his holiness our mind, our emotions, everything were tainted by the fall. We were children of wrath. We could not stand in his presence. We could not approach him. We were captives. We were slaves. That's who we were. And I want to say this. I think it's an important note that because man was created in the image of God, even man that has fallen, there is a certain dignity in man. It doesn't mean that, 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 man, that someone can never do something good. There's a tremendous value in, in men, even spiritually damaged and dead men. And I think that's important to point out. But I want to keep going here because have you thought lately with what's happening in our world, what in the world are people thinking? I mean, really, like, I don't think we're seeing a new level of sin, but it seems like in our generation, I mean, all, none of the sins that are happening are probably haven't happened somewhere in some society in the past, but we're seeing this very darkened, warped things that are happening that people are accepting, even churches are accepting. And so, have you ever thought that, what, what, what are people thinking? But I want to submit to, to you that why, why do we expect a spiritual corpse to line up with our 
biblical values. Why do we expect that? Like we get all upset about it. And we're like, you know, how, how can, what, what's going on? But I would submit to you a spiritual corpse, that's what a spiritual corpse does. It's a spiritual corpse, it stinks, it's dead. It's dead. And so that's what's happening. And so we wanna try to bring a human solution in for a, a human problem that's linked to a spiritual condition, but it won't work. We, look, I'm all for legislation that lines up with God's word, I am. But if we think legislation and education is going to make people obedient to God, we're wrong. It won't do it. Maybe legislation, enough people come into the kingdom, legislation begins to line up with God's word and there begins to be a purity in, in the way things are set up in society. But we need to understand that that is not what is going to change the world. And I wanna go back to Ephesus this powerful city where they were worshiping the, the goddess of Artemis. And um, I want us to understand something about the first century church that was incredibly powerful, that was spreading the gospel, that was literally turning cities inside out and upside down with the gospel. They had no political power. They were a minority of people. No, in fact, they were being persecuted. They were being killed for their faith. Yet, they were walking in tremendous power. And, uh, and, and, and revival in Ephesus was not because, not because of legislation. It was because God began to pour out his spirit on that city. And when he did, when he did, there's a description in the book of Acts, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there, where people began to bring their books of magic and burn them in the streets. Look, no one legislated that they do that. They said, I don't want this anymore. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm gonna burn my book of magic. And when you look at the value that's mentioned there, it's millions of dollars of books of magic were burned in the streets of Ephesus by people throwing them in the fire. You also see that the little statues, the sails of, 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 uh, of, of the statues of Artemis were affected to the point that the merchants could not make any money on it, so they rioted in the city. And they hauled Paul's friend, and they haul, they haul him in there, and they've got, you can see the giant amphitheater today that'll seat 20,000 people. It's an amazing sight where they were yelling, great, great is the, the goddess of the Ephesians, Artemis, because they were so upset. Why was this happening? It wasn't happening because of legislation. It was happening because people's hearts were being changed and the merchants could no longer make money off of their sin. Amen. <laughs> and I wanna keep going, all right? So what we were by nature, we're no longer by grace. And so to understand grace, you've gotta understand wrath. You won't understand the grace of God. You won't understand the magnitude of the grace of God unless you understand what you were rescued from and what you have now been invited into in Jesus. Amen. And so it, it goes on in, in, in verse 4, Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God took action through Jesus 
to reverse our sin condition, to make us holy. And so he saved us, and that's what he came to do. He didn't come to judge the world, although the world will be judged at some point, but he didn't come, he came to save the world, and he died for, for us. And those who choose to receive him, those who choose to repent and receive him are free from those three hideous truths that enslave them. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And there's three things that happened. I know I got a lot of threes and fives and all this today, but there's three things that happened with Christ and salvation. I want you to think about it for a second. Verse five, it says he made us alive together with Christ. So that's co-resurrection right there, guys. Not only was Jesus resurrected, we were resurrected when we started following him. And so we've been made alive together with Christ. We are no longer spiritual corpses. And our mission is to, make, to bring people into the kingdom so that they are no longer a spiritual corpse. It says that also that in verse six that we were raised up with him. So we were made alive. We were raised up with him. So we co-ascended with Christ. Amen. And then it goes on. It says, it gets really good here. That he, he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not, not, not only were we were made alive, not only were we were raised, but we were seated with him in heavenly places that we were made to reign with Christ. We have a co-reign with him and we are co-heirs with him. Amen. We're not equal to him he is our God, but he said, listen, everything I have is yours, and I want you to sit with me, and I want you to reign over all creation. That is the church. Amen? It's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> so what is something that makes us distinctive as God's community? We all have this shared past. We were children of wrath. And we have a rescue. And now we are unified with Christ, been made alive, raised up, and seated with him in heavenly places. And so why did God do this? If you go back up to Ephesians 2.4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So God is a merciful God. We understand the wrath of God, but we understand that God is a merciful God and because of the great love with which he loved us, because of that is why he did what he did for us at the cross. He's rich in mercy and he's great in love. And if you go back to verse seven, you see, so then the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so God wanted to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace, this unmerited gift that we can receive. We did, nothing to, to, we did nothing to deserve it, yet he gives us this free gift and he wants in the ages to come, do you realize that in eternity, it's gonna be constant revelation? You know those moments when you just have a re revelation, it's like some of you respond differently, it's like, ah, you know, or whatever. <laughs> That's gonna happen to you thousand times a second all through eternity because the immeasurable grace is going to be being poured out on you. So get your woe or whatever you do or you laugh, you joy, whatever, get it ready. Your scream, your shout, your weeping, whatever it is, 
weeping from joy. Get ready because a thousand times a second, you're go he's going to be showing you the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Keep going here. So you see in Ephesians 1.19 that by raising Christ, he showed the immeasurable greatness, this is cool, of his power toward us. So that's what he showed there. But by raising us, he showed the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. So you can look at those two passages together and they both have this immeasurable power and, and both this immeasurable grace that God has turned towards us because of Jesus. Amen. And then it goes on, verse eight, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is our new identity as a believer. We are no longer a spiritual corpse, but we, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. And it says that he created these works for us. He prepared them beforehand. Before you were ever born, God had you in his mind. And he prepared good works for you that you would walk in them. So what does that mean? That means I'm going to take the goodness of God that has been revealed to me and I am going to take it wherever I go. This is what I was created to do. This is what we are to walk in. This is how we change society. Amen. Those that were children of wrath are now children of grace and we can walk that out and we can take it wherever we go. We don't need to go out and judge the world. We need to go out and show them the love of Jesus. Amen? And I want to encourage, why don't you stand? I want to encourage you in something. Enjoy the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you now, today. It's not just for eternity. It is as we walk through this life. Yes, we go through trials. Yes, we go through hardships. But if we could keep our eyes on his immeasurable riches of his grace, praise will continue to well up out of us. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He wrote it from prison, most likely chained to a Roman soldier. He would later be beheaded for the sake of the gospel, but he and he understood that there was something more important than any other thing, and that was to know the riches of Christ's grace. Let me just pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we are no longer children of wrath, but that we are children of grace, and that you have shown your kindness towards us. And we just want to say we love you and we thank you and we honor you. And we bless you, Lord, in this place. And if you're here today, we're, I'm going to have, let's go ahead and have our team come forward, our prayer team. If you're here today, And you can come up for prayer for anything, but I, I want to make a call. If you're a believer, but you've been struggling with some things 
that are a part of the course of this world, I want to say to you, that is not who you are. You're not a child of wrath, but it doesn't mean that we can't get tangled up in some stuff that we shouldn't be tangled up in. And the beautiful thing is, in an instant, we can step out of it and we can repent and we can receive forgiveness. And so if, that, if that's you here, as, as, we, as, I make the, as we close the service, you're gonna have an opportunity to come up and you just ask one of these guys to pray for you over whatever that issue is and God's gonna release you. Also, if you've never received Jesus into your heart, if you've never committed to follow him, if you have never met him, you may have heard about him, but you've never met him, I wanna say that God is extending to you today the immeasurable riches of his grace. And you don't have to do anything to change yourself. The only thing you do is you respond to it. Amen. And you say, I no longer want these things in my life and I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna follow Jesus. When you do that, God, wrath is going to be removed from your life and you're going to be able to enter into the presence of God. Amen. And so if that's you, if that's you today, don't leave this building. Don't leave this building without accepting him. Don't wait. If you leave this life and don't know Jesus, you will be eternally separated from him. Now we respond to him because he's calling us to his love, but at the same time, there will be an eternal separation if you don't respond to him. And I'm not trying to create fear, but I want you to understand the gravity of responding. So if God is working in your heart this morning, don't let anything get in the way. In fact, I break anything that would speak to anyone that would cause them to leave, that would cause you to leave this building without responding to salvation. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He can cleanse you from sin. And all you need to do is receive it. And so I want to invite you to come as well. And you just need to let one of these guys know, I am here to follow Jesus. I have never followed him. I do not know him. And they're going to pray with you. And your life will change forever today. Just like so many in this room, our life has changed. Amen. And so these guys are going to play. They're going to worship for just a minute. And I want you guys to go ahead and just begin to make your way. If you have any other need, you can come down here as well for prayer. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.